Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Margaret Wallaber, and at the time of this recording, I am a PGY2 psychiatry resident at Emory University. I wanted to start a podcast that would help medical students ace their shelf exams, as well as impress their attendings on the wards. I'll be focusing on high-yield topics, but my ultimate goal is to be able to make this a comprehensive review of psychiatry so that you can have another medium to use as a study tool for when you're on your psychiatry rotation. I know when I was a medical student living in Brooklyn, I loved having educational podcasts to listen to on the subway as I commuted to different hospitals in New York. All right, so let's get to the first topic that I want to cover, which is a big one, antipsychotics. Test makers love, love, love to test you on these, and for good reason. There's a lot of different choices, and it can be confusing as to why we would choose one agent over another. You'll be starting your psychiatry rotation on the wards, and arguably the most difficult thing for you will be to decipher brand names from generic names. So it's going to be important to get comfortable with this, and I also want you to form an understanding of why we would choose certain antipsychotics over others when we're making clinical decisions in psychiatry. All right, so let's get into this. I want to start with a case, and I want you to be able to apply what we've learned in this episode to making a clinical decision for this patient. We have Michael, who's a 22-year-old male with no significant past medical history, who presents to the emergency department with bizarre behavior. He believes that he has microchips implanted in his stomach, through which the government has been able to track him. He hears extraterrestrials commanding him to run away, and since has been missing from home for about one week. Michael has stable vitals and no obvious findings on physical exam. Initial labs, including CBC, CMP, UA, UDS, and ethanol are normal. He is diagnosed with a first episode of psychosis. You, the resident, are trying to decide which antipsychotic to start your patient on. Which would you choose and why? All right, so the first thing I want to go over is the difference between typical and atypical antipsychotics. Typical antipsychotics are older agents that you won't see as often. There will be some patients who are on these if they've been effective, but atypical agents are typically preferred because they have a more favorable side effect profile, and that has a lot to do with the mechanism of action. Typical antipsychotics have stronger dopamine 2 blockade, which would explain the higher risk of extrapyramidal side effects with these agents, whereas atypical antipsychotics block both dopamine 2 and serotonin receptors, and we think the addition of this latter mechanism may play a role in improving negative symptoms of psychotic disorders. What are the four dopaminergic pathways? We're going to have to go back to physiology a little bit here. I think it's really important because these pathways will be fair game on your shelf exam. We have the mesolimbic pathway, which is responsible for positive symptoms of psychotic disorders. We have your mesocortical pathway, which is responsible for negative symptoms. We have your nigrostriatal pathway, which is responsible for extrapyramidal side effects and tardive dyskinesia, which we'll go over in a minute. And then we have your tuberoinfundibular pathway, which can cause hyperprolactinemia. What are some examples of typical antipsychotics? So the one you're probably going to come across the most is Haldoperidol, or the brand name for that is Haldol, which is pretty easy to remember. This is a high-potency drug. It has greater affinity for dopamine 2 receptors, which means that there's a higher incidence of extrapyramidal side effects. Flufenazine, or the brand name is Prolixin, you might come across, less likely. This is also a high-potency drug. Uh, maybe you would come across this if you were on a geriatric rotation, but I think this is a pretty old drug, and I personally haven't seen it used yet in my training. Chlorpromazine, or the brand name is Thorazine. 
This is actually a lower potency typical antipsychotic. There's a higher incidence, however, of anticholinergic, antiadrenergic, and antihistaminic side effects. This is a pretty hefty drug. I have seen this used in consult psychiatry in the ICU setting when patients are in a very agitated state and Haldol is not doing the trick. The only problem with ICU patients is that their blood pressure isn't always that great and they're probably on a number of pressors and we have to be very careful with Thorazine because it can make blood pressures plummet. We don't want to be causing any more issues for patients who are already in critical care. What are some examples of atypical antipsychotics? So we have clozapine, and the brand name for that is Clozarel, which should also be easy to remember. This is used in treatment refractory schizophrenia. We as providers love clozapine because it is so effective. However, patients don't love it. We have to have conversations and educate our patients about side effects that might occur even if they're rare. And during these discussions, this drug can come off as kind of scary. Not to mention that patients have to have regular blood draws to make sure that those levels aren't super therapeutic and patients are not therefore at a high risk of developing some of these side effects. We need to watch out for agranulocytosis, myocarditis, which we can screen with an EKG, and we can also look at inflammatory markers like CRP, seizure because clozapine lowers the seizure threshold, weight gain, hypersalivation, and tachycardia. So we have things that can help with some of these side effects. If they start gaining weight, but this is a great drug for them, we can put them on metformin. If they become tachycardic, but this is a great drug for them, we can add propranolol. So there are options to try to to avoid some of these side effects. Um, Patients just don't like being on numerous drugs. Another one you'll hear a lot on the wards is risperidone or the brand name Risperdal. This can cause hyperprolactinemia, and of the atypical antipsychotics, it's actually the one that is most likely to cause extrapyramidal side effects because it's the highest potency. You can tell which ones are high are higher potency just based on the dosing. So Risperdal will dose at low doses. Like I'll start a patient on two milligrams of Risperdal. I have rarely gone up to four or six milligrams. Whereas Seroquel or Quetiapine, patients can be on 300, 600 milligrams of that drug. Which brings me to quetiapine, or the brand name is Seroquel. This can cause sedation and QT prolongation, so make sure you get an EKG before you start this drug. Interestingly enough, Seroquel is actually used as a street drug. I think it's called like squirrel or something. Just be careful of patients walking into the psych ED who have a history of substance use who are asking for a bunch of Seroquel. Lanzapine, or the brand name is Zyprexa, can cause sedation and is the most likely agent to cause significant weight gain. Zyprexa is a great drug, especially for manic patients who have psychotic features or just for breaking mania in general because it does have a mood component. But long-term, not the best drug. It is really good at increasing appetite. In fact, I've used this off-label to increase appetite in patients who just aren't eating it's that good. Um, patients do not like to gain weight, and as their providers, we do not want them to, to develop things like diabetes. So usually patients will eventually come off of this medicine and switch to an agent that's a little bit more weight neutral. Zepracidone, or the brand name is Geodon, 
is actually one of the agents that is weight neutral, uh, most likely to cause significant QT prolongation. So make sure that you're getting, getting an EKG before starting this. And as you're following the patient, make sure that you're following up with regular EKGs to make sure that there's nothing going on that could cause them to have um, torsades de pont, which we don't want. Aripiprazole, or the brand name is Abilify, is an interesting drug because it's actually a partial D2 agonist. This makes it a great option for first episode psychosis or patients who are naive to antipsychotics because it has the least risk of extrapyramidal side effects. And that's because it doesn't block dopamine like the other agents do. This is also a weight neutral agent, which patients love. Side effect that can happen pretty often is akathisia, and we'll discuss this next, actually. So next, I want to go over the side, the different side effects based on the different receptors that we're, we're blocking here. So the, the biggest group, obviously, is the antidopaminergic side effects. I've been throwing around the phrase extrapyramidal side effects a lot, so that includes things like Parkinsonism, so bradykinesia, mass-like facies, cogwheel rigidity, pill rolling tremor. We can actually treat this with a number of agents. We can use amantadine, diphenhydramine, or better known as Benadryl, and benztropine, which is also known as cogentin. Akathisia, which I just mentioned with Abilify, this is a subjective feeling of restlessness and objective fidgeting on exam. I've seen patients develop akathisia and they cannot sit still. They will be pacing the unit. They will be moving their legs up and down. It's very uncomfortable. You can treat this with a beta blocker or a benzodiazepine. Keep in mind that we like to avoid benzodiazepines when we can. Dystonia is excruciatingly painful, contraction of muscles of the neck known as torticollis, the tongue or the eyes known as oculogiotic crisis, I will hold antipsychotics if patients develop this. It is very uncomfortable. You can use benztropine or cogentin. I'll usually give them an intramuscular injection of diphenhydramine or Benadryl because I want these symptoms to resolve ASAP, as does your patient. Typically, once they get a dystonic reaction, this medicine will be listed as an allergy in their, in their chart because they don't want this to ever happen to them again. So we'll usually avoid that agent and try to switch to a different one. Tardive dyskinesia is choreoathetoid or writhing movements of the mouth and tongue. It can also happen in other body parts that may occur with long-term treatment. So usually patients are on at least six months of antipsychotic treatment. Unfortunately, most cases of tardive are permanent. Theoretically, you could try to switch to another agent. I just wouldn't have high hopes of this resolving. This is a very unfortunate consequence of long-term antipsychotic treatment, and we see this more often, obviously, with the more potent antipsychotics. Neuroleptic malignant syndrome is a medical emergency. These patients will be in the ICU with fever, autonomic instability, leukocytosis, tremor, elevated CPK, lead pipe rigidity, which is a buzzword, diaphoresis, and delirium. They'll be treated with supportive care, so things like hydration and cooling. And then other agents that can be used to help resolve these symptoms are dantrolene, bromocryptine, and amantadine. This is a very scary syndrome to develop. I have never seen it. I've known some colleagues who have seen it, and it looks super unpleasant, um, can be fatal. So definitely try to avoid 
having a patient develop this, although we can't always predict that. Typically, patients will develop the other side effects before before um, developing neuroleptic malignant syndrome unless they have something in their genetics that makes them more prone to developing this. And then last, hyperprolactinemia, which I've mentioned with Risperdal, is an anti-dopaminergic side effect that can lead to gynecomastia in men, and this is very unfortunate. I've seen this, and it is very pronounced. Galacteria, menstrual disturbance in women, and then it can also cause sexual dysfunction and infertility. The next set of receptors, I've lumped them together, are the HAM receptors or the histamine adrenergic muscarinic receptors. So antihistaminic side effects that we need to look out for are sedation and weight gain. Antiadrenergic side effects include orthostatic hypotension. So I mentioned that with Thorazine. We need to be very careful with that drug. And then anti-muscarinic side effects include dry mouth, tachycardia, urinary retention, blurry vision, and constipation. All right, so that concludes my lecture on antipsychotics. I want us to circle back to the case, and I want you to think about, based on our discussion, which antipsychotic would you use for this patient? I'm going to read the case again. I will post the answer in the description of this podcast, but I encourage you to give it your best shot before looking at the answer. Michael is a 22-year-old male with no significant past medical history who presents to the emergency department with bizarre behavior. He believes that he has microchips implanted in his stomach through which the government has been able to track him. He hears extraterrestrials commanding him to run away and since has been missing from home for about one week. Michael has stable vitals and no obvious findings on physical exam. Initial labs, including CBC, CMP, UA, UDS, and ethanol are normal. He is diagnosed with a first episode of psychosis. You, the resident, are trying to decide which antipsychotic to start your patient on. Which would you choose and why? Thank you everyone for listening in. I hope that this helps organize antipsychotics for you and helps you excel on your shelf exam and on the wards. If you have any suggestions or notice any need for correction or any comments in general, don't hesitate to post. I want to make this the best medical education podcast for psychiatry as I can for y'all. All right, have a wonderful day.